like that. Hello, everybody, you and welcome to this like Saturday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you all had a fantastic couple weeks because it has been a long-ass time since we have recorded an episode of the Logan Blackman Show. The last episode actually came on a Monday, and not this past Monday. No, 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 not this past Monday. We're going all the way back to September 18th. September 18th. When we get to Monday, it'll be October. It would have been two weeks since the last time we recorded a podcast episode. So we needed to get something out. We needed to get something out this week, especially with the quarterback rankings coming out. And I usually have a rule. I didn't used to have this rule, but I usually have a rule now to where you don't record a podcast episode after 9 o'clock because... Good Lord, it can drag on. And when you're past 9 o'clock, and when you're not even, well, not only when you're past 9 o'clock, but if you're close to closing in on 10 o'clock, things can go haywire very quickly. It just depends on your, your adrenaline levels. It just depends on how committed you are to the craft, how committed to the game you are. And then you can start recording shows later because all my old shows used to be pretty much recorded exclusively after 10 because I was recording them at my parents' house. Like when COVID first hit. So go back to like 2020. So when COVID first hit, I was recording all my shows at like 10 o'clock at night because I was self-conscious about people listening to me while I recorded. So I would have my parents sitting in the living room and me just sitting there knowing like, oh, oh, okay. Well, side note, I'm watching the BYU versus Cincinnati game and Emory Jones just threw an interception right into the face mask of a BYU defender and he just returned it all the way for a pick six. Not the most ideal way to start the game. Now, usually, I don't like to start a game off with a pick six where like... We're four minutes into the first quarter, pretty much. Ah, four minutes, six minutes into the first quarter. And now we've already got a pick six. That's not the way you want to start. I'm sorry, Cincinnati. This is a big-time Big 12 matchup here. <laughs> God love conference realignment. But, yeah, I was recording all my shows at night because I didn't want my parents hearing what I was saying. I just was like, I could hear footsteps. I got to stop recording because now I'm self-conscious. Now I'm going to start thinking about everything I'm saying. But that was also when I wrote scripts down. Or wait, was it? When did I stop writing scripts? I think I stopped writing scripts sometime around then. I don't remember exactly when, but that might have had some of the reason been some of the reason why I stopped doing scripts is because I didn't want people to hear me reading something and then stumble up and then trying to find my place again. It just doesn't really flow that naturally. But we are gonna try our damnedest to get this show done and recorded and out for you for this Saturday because it has been a long time and there's been a lot of stuff that has happened around the world of sports that we want to talk about today. But before we get into any of that, Let's go over the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter or X at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account's Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the YouTube channel. We should have a video up for you today. I don't know if it's actually going to be posted or not. Again, we're trying to look forward into the future right now. It is 9.36 right now on Friday. So by the time this show comes out, you might have a YouTube video up as well, which will be covering the top 10 quarterbacks for this week's quarterback prospect range for the draft quote-unquote expert. But if it's not up, just make sure still you subscribe to the YouTube channel because we'll try to post a little bit more on there. It's been it's been hard recently to get videos up on the YouTube channel, but we're trying to get stuff flowing there. We'll get more stuff out for you there shortly. But as for all the different social media accounts, you can catch all the links to the Logan Blackman Show on every single one of those social media accounts we just mentioned, as well as links to blog posts, which there'll be one out today. So make sure you are following all the different blog posts, all the different websites and social media accounts and all that stuff. And make sure you go to the LoganBlackmanShow.com where you can check out blog posts, videos. You can check out a bunch of different stuff 
on the LoganBladmanShow.com. But the main thing, the most important thing here today is to make sure you are following and or subscribe to the Apple Podcast and Spotify accounts. Just search it up, pop it up, give it a five-star rating or a rating out of five stars. Sorry, it doesn't need to be a five-star rating if you don't feel like it's up to snuff. You can give it whatever rating you want. Just let me know in down below on why you feel the way you do. Now, where should we start off? I'm kind of conflicted on where we should start things off today because I'm watching a college football game right now. I am currently watching a college football game, and it's kind of funny. I saw this on Twitter or X earlier today. Tonight begins the stretch of there being at least one college football or NFL game for 54 of the next 55 days. Next Tuesday is the last scheduled day without one until November 22nd, the last the day before Thanksgiving. 54 out of the next 55 days, there will be some sort of football in college or NFL. And we have got BYU against Cincinnati again, big time Big 12 matchup going on right now. So it feels like should we start about should we start with college? Should we start with college because I I I, I want to go over some NFL topics too, but I feel like college is going to be the more pressing issue at this point in time. So yeah, let's start with college football. Let's start with college football because here in the state of Iowa, college football is pretty much everything. Whether you're an Iowa or Iowa State fan or even a UNI fan, William Penn fan, not Grandview fan, obviously, but all the other schools in the state of Iowa, it's a big deal. When you, ha- when you don't have a professional sports team, granted, we are the minor league sports capital of the United States. We do hold that title. I don't know if it's still official, but we did at one point hold that title, so I feel like it's important to state that right now. Minor league sports do not hit the same as big-time professional sports. Like when I went to William Penn, a few of the people, or actually most of the people that went to William Penn were from cities that had or states that had professional sports teams. So you didn't really have a ton of, you know, college football fans. You had a few in there, obviously, but most of them were NFL fans, especially the fans down in Missouri. You remember a couple weeks ago, we were going over the college football tier list, or maybe it was a month ago now, and Missouri was somewhere on there. I ain't never met a Missouri fan in my life, and I, half my teammates at William Penn were from Missouri. I don't think any of them were actually Missouri Tigers fans because they were Chiefs fans or just people that absolutely hated the Rams because they moved right around that time as well. But college football is everything. When you don't have a professional sports team in your state, you can kind of just pick and choose wherever you want to go. So you have fans from all over the all over the United States here in the state of Iowa. Like you got fans of like the Packers, you got the Vikings, you got the some Lions, you got the Bears, you got the Bills, obviously. You got the Pittsburgh Steelers because of the black and gold contingent. Like you got a bunch of different NFL teams, but college teams, you're either Iowa or Iowa State. Because again, no one has actually ever grown up being a UNI Panthers fan, I went to UNI. I know this. I know this. Not a single person there, unless you had a diehard parent, you ain't going to UNI football games on Saturday when Iowa and or Iowa State are playing at home, especially when the Iowa State game's going on. Like, UNI had one of their biggest games of the season, week two against Weber State, the same exact weekend as Iowa State. That is terrible scheduling. That is absolutely terrible scheduling. You cannot do that. They played Idaho State the next week. The very next week, they played Idaho State. You want to know who Iowa and Iowa State played that week? Western Michigan and Ohio. Why not schedule the Idaho State game week two so you get more people to go to the Weber State game? That's a top 25 matchup there because you and I would have beaten Idaho State week two. It didn't matter what time you played Idaho State. You and I was going to come away with a victory regardless. So going to Weber State week three feels a whole lot better. Maybe you and I plays better knowing they can actually win football games. Versus not knowing they can win after they lost to Iowa State Week 1 in pretty bad fashion. Got beat up pretty good in that game. You handed Weber State the ball a thousand times in the game, and you lost that game as well. Like, Theo Day, who we've talked about a lot on this show, 
Theo Day threw an interception against Weber State. It got called back, and then later on that drive, he threw another interception. Like, it was just like, you and I just can't help turn. Ty Edwards has fumbled the ball a bunch this season. Like, it's been, the turnover battle has been very big for you and I. It's been something really hard to overcome this year. And going against Youngstown State this weekend, I didn't think we were going to start with you and I, but here we are. Playing Youngstown State this weekend, a top 20 team in the FCS level, they're a very experienced team. They got a well-defined culture. They're going to pound the rock. They are a very good running team. Yeah, sure, Jalil McLaughlin, the guy who led the country in rushing yards, or at least the school history in rushing yards, school rushing leader in rushing yards, school record holder in rushing yards, is gone. He's with the Denver Broncos. But they're still going to be, you know, very, very effective in the ground game because they have four returning stars in the offensive line. As we talked about in the preview video going into the season for you and I, you and I brought back one star on the offensive line. That's Jared Penning, brother of Trevor Penning, who's on the New Orleans Saints. In contrast, Youngstown State lost one person on the offensive line from a season four. They got brought back nine starters on offense. Jalen McLaughlin was one of them, and one of the offensive line was the other one. Everybody else is back. And Tyshawn King, their running back now, has had 200-yard games in the first three games of the season. And that 100-yard game that he didn't get was against Ohio State, which can you blame the dude for not getting 100 yards against Ohio State? But they played well in that game against the Buckeyes. It was kind of one of those things where you can't really when, – when a top-level program like Ohio State is playing an FCS school, you kind of have to talk to yourself in your mind where you're like, did Ohio State play bad or is Youngstown State just that good? It's one of those weird you know, 50-50 things. It's kind of a happy mixture of both, isn't it? But Youngstown State, they are a good team. But for the most of the people that don't watch the FCS or follow the FCS that closely, you would think that, hey, Ohio State must have just played really bad, not really giving credit to Youngstown State. But Youngstown State's got good players, especially on offense. Bryce Oliver is one of the best wide receivers in all of college football, playing in a run-first system. Very good wide receiver. Now, you and I, being the home team and getting a win under the belt, having a bye week, these are all very big things that could help steamroll you and I, and they need to win this game. They need to win this game because you and I, as we have discussed numerous times before, plays in the toughest conference in the FCS level, in the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Like, it's a tough-ass conference. You and I, this is their first conference game. They still haven't played South Dakota State. They still haven't played North Dakota or North Dakota State. All three of those schools are still left on their schedule. Illinois State can be a tough outfit. Like, there are some tough games left. You and I need to build some victories here before you go on to take on the juggernauts of Missouri Valley Football. Not just the Missouri Valley Football Conference, I should say. Of all the FCS. You need to build some wins there. And this Youngstown State team, again, is a tough, tough outfit. Tough team. Again, they played Ohio State extremely tough for that standard. Ohio State ended up winning, I think, 35-7 or something like that. But that's a still a tough outing. Like, Ohio State ended up blasting Western Kentucky the week later. Like, Ohio State kind of, you know, woke up or whatever that next week. But they still needed to do some things against Youngstown State. If I remember correctly, Kyle McCord got benched in that game. For Dustin Brown, or was that Indiana? Was that Indiana or Youngstown State? They played a bunch of red and white teams their first two, three weeks of the season before they played Notre Dame. But we'll get to them in a little bit, I guess. But it's a tough game. It's a very tough game. Being at the Unidome's big. But, man, Iowa playing Michigan State at home in a night game. Granted, Iowa State is on the road, so maybe you can get some more fans in the stadium that way, too. So we'll have to see. You and I does play before Iowa and Iowa State tomorrow, so... Or today, I guess since the show's coming out. But will people actually bring themselves to the Unidome? I'm not 100% sure. Night games are kinnick and certainly something to behold. Especially when it's a blackout. That's a scary place to be. Scary place to be. A fun place to be. Especially if you're a Hawkeye fan. 
So if you're an Iowa fan going to UNI, which there are a lot of them, they're probably going to go to that game, which sucks, but hey, what are you going to do? I mean, they offer free tickets to the games. You can't really do much more than that. You got to offer a better product, I guess, but UNI just has struggled to get things going out the door. Granted, they have played an insanely tough schedule with Iowa State and Weaver State. And again, it don't get any easier. <laughs> so that's why this is a must-win game for UNI if they want to squeak into the FCS playoffs. If they want to squeak into the FCS playoffs, they got to win this game here. But we brought up Iowa and Iowa State as well. And we'll start with Iowa first because, you know, we kind of mentioned them here where a lot of UNI, a lot of UNI students are Iowa fans, and I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I went to UNI for two and a half years, so remember I had to throw away all my Iowa allegiances because of those two and a half years. But I digress. Iowa shit the bed against Penn State. And I was sitting there watching it. I was watching the game with the boys, and everything's just going wrong. Everything's just going wrong. So the punt return thing happened. The fumble happened. And Penn State just gets the ball when Iowa has a chance to really get things going on offense, which is saying a lot. Who knows what would have actually happened if Iowa would have been able to hold on the ball there, if the ball didn't bounce off one of the up men's backs on the punt return, if Eric All didn't fumble the ball in the red zone. Who the hell knows what would have happened? But we can only play the, the you know hypotheticals here. All we know is for certain Iowa sucked ass that game. And for those of you who are on Twitter and were watching the game, we're like, oh man, there's a chance here. There's a chance. We warned you about this game a few weeks ago. Like Penn State got a young quarterback, Drew Alar. Very exciting quarterback, but he struggled, you know, at some points throughout the season. You know, just the growing pains of being a young quarterback. He struggled a little bit against Illinois, but, you know, right of the ship as the game went along. But with Penn State, when you're playing a team like Penn State and you're Iowa, whose offense has sucked ass for the past two years, has been absolutely horrific the past two years. And we'll get to more statistical analysis in regards to Iowa's offense coming up here in a little bit. But for this game, when you look at Iowa's offense and you look at Iowa's defense, Iowa's defense is obviously the main strong point of this of this Iowa team. Is Iowa's defense enough to stall Penn State's offense enough for Iowa's offense to really get things going? And then on that same breath, is Penn State's defense enough to completely stifle Iowa's offense? And that was abundantly true. Because remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Penn State, every single player, like key player Iowa has defensively, which Iowa's main strength is their defense. We know this. It's been common knowledge for years now that Iowa's main strength is the defensive side of the ball. But when you look at everybody Iowa has, you could raise them a Penn State player. Like you look at Joe Evans on the defensive line. You got Chop Robinson, one of the best edge rushers in all of college football. You got Jay Higgins at linebacker. You got Nick Jackson linebacker. They got Abdul Carter. Like they got one of the best linebacker tandems in college football. And then you look at the cornerback position. Cooper DeGene, one of the best corners in college football. One of the few cornerbacks that you could say is probably better than him is Kalen King for Penn State. And we're not even going to talk about the offensive side of the ball. Like you got the best tackle in college football in Olu Fashanu at left tackle. You got Drew Alars better at quarterback than Cade McNamara. And you've got Nick Singleton. You got a nice running back tandem at, at Penn State as well. Like every single sign, with it being at Happy Valley, with it being a night game, with it being a wideout, every single sign pointed it to being an absolute shit show of a game. Absolute shit show. I think the line was 14 or something like that. I hammered that down with reckless abandon. That sucks to say as an Iowa fan, but you got to be realistic at times. There's no reason. Yes, Iowa was coming off a 41 point drubbing of Western Michigan, but they sucked ass in that game until the second half. They were not very good in that game. Matt Nomero was not very good in that game. In this Penn State game, I sat there like, 
I'm not too surprised what's happening. But when you looked on Twitter, it was like everybody was expecting Iowa to do something in that game. Who was actually expecting Iowa to do anything in that game? Who? Really? Realistically? Who was expecting Iowa to do anything in that game? Like, keeping the score close? Like, close score in this game to me was like 27-10. That was close. That was a close score. That score ended up being 31-0, and Iowa looked like absolute dog water in this game. Which, again, does not surprise me in the absolute slice when you just look at all the talent Penn State has at their disposal. They're a damn good football team. Very good football team, but the way everybody was acting on Twitter, which is a very, you know, sane place after games. You know, fans are always at their best mindset during games, on Twitter, after games, especially after games. Like, everybody's like, oh, fire Kirk, fire Brian, this offense is terrible. It's like, what did you expect to happen? Did you literally, did you really expect Iowa to go in there to get a W? Did you actually expect that? Like, even as the most diehard fan, you have to realize that. It was like going to the Big Ten Championship game. Maybe not to that extent. But the Big Ten Championship game against Michigan, did anybody in their right mind actually think Iowa was not going to get shit stopped in that game? As the most diehard fan, you can sit there and go, objectively, this is not going to be a very good game. And this Penn State game was not going to be a very good game. Iowa cannot do anything on offense. And absolutely anything on offense. And I think it's funny listening to all these posts for these, these press conferences and stuff like that. It's like, oh, God, these are this is what they're actually saying. Like Kirk talking about how it'd be, yeah, it'd be a probably a good idea to get the receivers involved more and not just use them as speedier off the linemen. Maybe that would be nice. Cade McNamara is saying, I don't call plays, I'm just the quarterback. So he's either basically saying, I don't know how to read a defense, or, or he's dissing Brian, which I think both could be the case given how Iowa's offense has been operating this year. I think both, I think both are fair there, right? Like when you look back at like Spencer Petrus, who was bad? Who was bad at Iowa? Has McNamara been that much better to this point than Peters was to this point? I don't know. I think McNamara is a better quarterback than Peters full stop. But like I've said before, there is a reason Michigan decided to go in another direction at quarterback. They were easing McCarthy into the starting position the year before when Michigan went to the Big Ten Championship game. McCarthy was playing quite a bit. He played in the Big Ten Championship game even before Michigan was absolutely blowing out Iowa. So they gave Kate McNamara the, the, like, the pity start week one last year, and then McCarthy took the reins the rest of the season, and, you know, the rest is history. Now he's one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL draft. There's a reason they tried to go in a different direction. McNamara is a fine quarterback. By the way people were reacting before the start of the season, like they just got Jesus Christ incarnate. Like it was kind of crazy how people were reacting to that. And McNamara is an upgrade on Peters, but this offense still sucks. It's still bad. It's still, it's, it's an absolutely brutal, brutal car. It's like you put new wheels on a freaking I don't know, 1930s Volkswagen Beetle or something like that. Like, it's still a shit-ass car. Sure, it got nicer tires. It still sucks. It's still a shitty car. Like, look at these sick tires we got on it. Oh, sick. Yeah, it still does the exact same thing. It still gets you from point A to point B. Just maybe looks a little bit better because it's not what you had. You still got a lot of shit problems on offense, and I don't see it getting better anytime soon. This Penn State game should not have been an awake, a grand awakening for everybody out there. They're st- they've been bad on offense. This ain't something new. This ain't, this, it's not something new. I, they, I haven't seen it as much this year. I, I give him credit. I have not seen it as, as much this year as I did a couple years ago. 
Whereas, like, this offense got us to the Big Ten Championship game. Let's not bash it. This is obviously working very well. I was 131 out of 133 teams in college football in regards to total offense. They have a worse passing offense than Army. Than freaking Army. You know, the triple option military school? You know that? Army's top two receivers have a total of 458 receiving yards a season. McNamara has a total of 459 passing yards a season. This is sad. This is very sad. Over the last 10 years, Iowa's recruited 24 freshman wide receivers. Of that group, 13 transferred, two switched to D1 to, to defense, one medically retired, one focused on baseball, three remain on the roster, and only four have finished their eligibility at Iowa. Like, look at Charlie Jones, what he did at Purdue last year. He wasn't doing that at Iowa. That's why he transferred. He wasn't going to do that at Iowa. Iowa's had some very talented receivers transfer out. And it sucks. It absolutely sucks, but they don't know how to use them. And I've again, we talked about this a little bit ago, talking about the whole fire Kirk thing. I'm so conflicted on that. I'm so conflicted. You look at this one, too. Iowa has lost more games by 30-plus points over the last two years than the previous 20 years combined. Three blowouts of 30-plus points in the last 19 games. Two blowouts of 30-plus points in the prior 269 LOL games. So I'm extremely conflicted when it comes to the whole, oh, fire Kirk thing, but Iowa's been dragging behind college football for a couple years now. And this offense ain't getting any better. This offense was out of date probably a decade ago. Iowa needs to switch things up a little bit if they want to actually challenge for things because they've got a talented defense. They've got a talented special teams. They're wasting some serious opportunities here by not switching. And my dad's always said, Kirk's loyal to a fault. And that's fair. That's a fair, and that's not necessarily a bad thing to be. But you look at all the quarterbacks I always have when they've had a bad quarterback, he always sticks by them. He never replaces them. Like James Vandenberg, when I went four and eight a couple like a couple years ago, a decade ago, James Vandenberg took every single snap that season. He never once went to the backup. Maybe he didn't know who the backup was because they had a three-way quarterback battle going into the season between C.J. Beathard, Jake Rudock, and Cody Sokol. So they had no idea who the quarterback was then, too. But it's slowly fading, and the problem is Iowa's defense is good enough to keep them in every game. That's the that's the problem here. But I'm at a point now to where if Iowa loses a game, if they lose a football game, I want them to absolutely get shelled. I want it to be the loss of all losses, pretty much. I don't want them to score. Because right now, Iowa's dropped down below the 25-point-a-game average, which is still mind-boggling that that was even a conversation to have anyways. So if Brian Ferentz doesn't meet these obligations for this contract and he's gone, does Kirk leave too? I don't want Kirk to get fired. I'm not, I don't want to say that, but I wouldn't be upset if Iowa started going in a different direction. I'm never going to be on the fire. I'll get, get Kirk out of here. Son, I'm all over that. Get Brian the hell out of here. And Brian was a good center for Drew Tate back in the day. I respect him as a player. Coach, he sucks ass. And I brought this up before. It's not, it's no coincidence that the only jobs he's ever had in coaching are people associated with Kirk. He was a coach on the Patriots. You remember Bill Belichick hired Kirk Ferentz on his staff when he was in Cleveland. Brian goes to the Hawkeyes, which is conveniently where his dad coaches. He's the worst offensive coordinator in the country for a team that is actually challenging for a conference, uh, not conference title, a division title. I'm not saying conference title because there ain't no way in hell they're beating Penn State, Michigan, or Ohio State. There ain't no way in hell they're doing that. So we're going division title here. 
This is a team legitly trying to do that, and they're sitting 131st out of 133 teams in college football. And that sucks. It's mentally draining, and I bring this up before about how it doesn't matter how bad it gets. I'm going to still sit my happy ass down and watch this shit next week, the following week, the week after that, and I'm going to complain about it every single time because it sucks, and it's rough to watch. It's like when a family member is going through a hard time and they're doing like some drugs or something. You can support them, but you can't tell them that this is a good idea, that we should keep doing this. I mean, he's not hurting everybody. He's just hurting himself. He's not hurting anybody. No, you got to tell him, hey, dude, quit doing meth. That's bad for you. You cannot do that no more. This Iowa offense is basically like meth. All the negatives of meth. If if there's any positives, I guess. (laughs) I guess that's like Iowa's offense again. Sometimes they gain yards. Sometimes they score touchdowns. Like, it's it's just not fun. It's a really bad time. Mental health is at an all-time low for Iowa fans. Because the team on defense and special teams is so talented. They had such an insane team last year on defense and special teams, and it was freaking wasted because they had an anemic offense, and that's putting it lightly. Like, Brian Ferentz is was the worst offensive coordinator in the country last year in all the SBS, FBS, out of all 133 teams, the worst offensive coordinator in the country. There's some bad teams in the FBS level, and he's the worst, and he carried that title over into this year. So this Penn State game should not have been a wake-up call for anybody. This is just par of the course, I guess. So, I don't know. I don't know. If you're looking at potential coaches to replace Kirk, I've always been on the Chris Kleiman train, the Kansas State head coach. That's the guy. At least for me. At least for me, that's who I want. Obviously, they could go in a different direction. He might try to go in the in-house selection like Hayden Fry did and go like LeVar Woods or something, but who knows? Well, I guess we'll have to cross that bridge when we get to it, right? We'll have to cross that bridge when we get to it. Now, Iowa State, on the other hand, we had the game against Ohio. We had the game where Matt Campbell tried to fight the fan. And then next, the next week against Oklahoma State, they win the game in pretty good fashion. Iowa State looked pretty good in that game, but Oklahoma State, let's not make any ifs, ands, or buts about it. Oklahoma State is ass, okay? They are a terrible football team. Like, this is a team that got absolutely shelled by South Alabama, who's a solid football team in their own right, but they got shelled by South Alabama at home at night. This is not a good team. So let's not kid ourselves by saying, oh, Iowa State is definitely back on the right track. Getting a dub is good. This is the exact same thing as you and I. You and I being into Idaho State is a good thing, but I'm not going to sit here and act like, oh, you and I is definitely back on the right track. They are going to go out and win every single game possible. And I give I give Iowa State all the credit in the world. Rocco Becks looked pretty good. Their run game is terrible, but you know what? The passing game's looking pretty solid. Rocco Becks looks pretty see- decent. And I think that win, and I brought this up before, and I don't, I never agreed with this idea, but it happens. It does happen where it doesn't matter how the quarterback's playing. If the offense is struggling, don't be surprised the coach pulls the trigger on the quarterback and goes with a different guy. So if J.J. Cole played, if you, if Iowa State somehow lost this game, I would not have been shocked if J.J. Cole got the start the next week against, uh, maybe not at halftime, because they're playing Oklahoma this week. They're playing Oklahoma this week. So, We'll have to wait and see on that one. Oklahoma is a completely different animal than what they played this year. Oklahoma's averaging over 500 yards of total offense this year. They're insane. They're absolutely insane. They're so much better than what they were last year, which is not surprising. A new head coach comes in and Brent Venables loses a lot of players likes of USC and other places with Lincoln Riley leaving. So there's going to be some, you know, downturn that next season. But they look really good. Granted, they haven't played a lot of teams, but you know what? They look good in those games they have played. 
And Iowa State, very good defensively. They don't have anything to keep up with Oklahoma on offense. They don't. And Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, solid enough defensively as well. Brent Venables there, surprisingly. So, you know what? I don't think Iowa State really has a chance in hell in this game. I'm sorry if that offends people out there. Maybe Iowa State comes through and wins this game. Maybe they do. I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. But, you know, crazier things have happened. Crazier things have happened. But Iowa State's passing offense looks solid. That's all you can really say about it. Defense is good. Run game sucks. Iowa and Iowa State are both in the bottom, bottom, bottom parts of college football in regards to total offense. Fun time to be a fan of the teams in the state of Iowa, right? And as for Iowa's game against Michigan State, they really should have no issues here. I don't think they're going to absolutely blow them out like they should because Michigan State's a bad team. They're a bad team. I understand they're top three in the conference of passing yards. Noah Kim is not a great quarterback. The, you look at some of the games they played this year. They won their first two games of the year against nobodies, and they come back week two, three and four, absolutely shelled like 114 or something. It's not That's not accurate or anything, but granted, it was against Washington, who has the top offense of college football and looks damn near unstoppable at this point, and Maryland, who have a very good offense in their own right. Michigan State's not very good. I don't care about the off-the-field stuff right now. They are not a good football team. And going into Kinnick Stadium at night, they should. Iowa really should have no issues here. But that being said, it's Iowa, so it's not going to be an easy win. I bet they could win by double digits. My score prediction for the Iowa game is like 17-6, 20-6, somewhere around there. I don't think Iowa absolutely blows them out of the water like they should because Iowa, you know, is, you know, Iowa. So of the played out there, Iowa State, I have no – faith that they win this game at all or even are really close i it, i bet it would be like a 42 to 10 game 45 to 10 somewhere around there and i you and i young south state i'm conflicted by this game because preseason i predicted you and i lose this game but i also had you and i winning their first two games of the year stupidly stupidly doing that i did i did appreciate or talk about the idea of you and i going oh and two through those first two games obviously beating Iowa state that's not really something to talk about but I don't really know if they win this game either. I don't. I don't really know if they win this game. That, that's the rough part. Good Lord, the Reds just beat the Cardinals 19-2. That's awesome. But um, ironically, at this point, with the Cardinals already out of the playoffs but and the Reds competing for a playoff spot, it's really awesome. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to say you and I wins this game. They need to be improved. I think the win could definitely help against Idaho State, but they need to win this game. As we said before, they have to win this game. They want a shot at making the FCS playoffs, but you never know. You never know. As as, as far as the rest of the state of college football goes, uh, Colorado got absolutely shelled last week against Oregon, which, again, is not incredibly surprising, given Colorado does not like to play any sort of defense at all. They haven't the entire year. So Oregon coming out there and blitzing them is not like insanely shocking. It's not insanely shocking. Maybe the the 42 points was a little, I don't want to say excessive. That's not excessive. Oregon could have beat them by 50 or 60 or 70. Like, they, they called the dogs off insanely in this game. They scored seven points in the third quarter and were done, pretty much. Like, this game could have been so much worse than what it was. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not too shocked by that. I thought Colorado would be able to cover. I thought they could score 20. Because I, what was the line, 22 in the game? I think it score at least 20, but yeah, Oregon was the better team. I wasn't really surprised that Colorado lost this game, especially given the emotional high that they had against Colorado State and the over double overtime game against them, losing your best player, storming the field and all that jazz. Like, losing the next game was not surprising. Now, this game against USC, that's going to be an insane, I would imagine it's going to be an insanely high-scoring game. Insanely high-scoring game, because neither team want to play defense. 
USC doesn't like to play defense. Colorado doesn't like to play defense. Perfect for a high-scoring game. I bet this game could finish like 56 to 30 or something. I still think USC wins the game. I think they got too much offensively to get stopped by Colorado. I mean, you look at all the players, let alone Caleb Williams. And Colorado's got zero semblance of a rushing attack. They got zero semblance off the line. Shadur Sanders been sacked 22 times this year was the most in college football. And this game between Caleb Williams and Shadur Sanders, you know, it's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of eyes on it. I hate that it's at, you know, 11 o'clock because it's 10 o'clock kickoff there. This should be a night game. It's in Boulder. Really exciting atmosphere there. I did see a, some USC fan page, or I don't know, it might have actually been associated with USC. They posted a picture of Caleb Williams riding a buffalo through Yellowstone National Park. Little did they know, your boy's been there. That ain't in Colorado. That's in Wyoming. So I don't know if they really know where Colorado is. I don't think they've ever really paid that much attention since Colorado has really been the doormat of the Pac-12 the past couple years. So I don't think they really care. But USC really shouldn't have any problems here. I think Colorado will score a lot of points. I think it'll be similar scoreline to that of what we saw with Washington and Cal. You know, that game, maybe not like that dominant in the first half from USC, or maybe it is, but Washington won 59-32. I wouldn't really be surprised if that was the score of this game, to be 100% honest with you. Because Colorado can score. USC doesn't offer a lot defensively. So, USC can score. USC can score in bunches. Like Arizona State, they played them last week. That game was weird because Arizona State stinks. They absolutely stink. They're one and three. Going, they were one and two going into this game. Lot, they're two losses. Not the most ideal in the world. Like losing to Oklahoma State, a bad Oklahoma State team in that fact, and losing to Fresno State, twenty nine nothing. Arizona State had not scored over twenty five points this season. They scored twenty eight against USC. The sixth, the now sixth, no eighth rate. Now they're the eighth ranked team in the nation. Then fifth ranked team in the nation. Dropped three spots. They beat Arizona State by thir- fourteen points. And dropped three spots because they allowed Arizona State to score 28 points which in itself is a crime against football so I again I don't oh Cincinnati scored 7-7 tie game big time big 12 football right here it's gonna be high scoring it's gonna be very very high scoring and I'm very excited to see how that one turns out very excited to see how that one works it's gonna be an interesting one Washington State versus Oregon State was another very fun game last week Duke beat the absolute piss out of UConn they caused some trouble for him early, which is what we kind of predicted going into the game. If you read our blog post about the 2024 NFL draft prospects for week three, if you read that blog post, you would know we mentioned that this could be Duke's toughest test since week one. Now Duke's obviously playing Notre Dame. Awesome game. Very much looking forward to that game. Riley Leonard going against Notre Dame at night at Duke. Duke's rocking blue helmets for this game. I am all for this game. Oh, never mind. Cincinnati just, what happened here? They're reviewing something. Did he not get in? Did he not? It looks like he's in. Looks like he's clearly in. What What happened? What are we reviewing here? I reviewed something bad. He's still going. Okay, we got another re- another angle. He's still up. Still up. Yeah, that's that's a touchdown. I don't know what we're reviewing. Did they not call it a touchdown? What the hell happened? I'm, I'm very confused. Are they, are they had to be challenged. They must have not called it a touchdown on the field. Oh, yeah. Ruling on the field, ball carry down at the one. Okay, yeah, he scored. He scored a touchdown. What other games do we got going on in college football this weekend? What other games? Those are the main ones. Uh, Notre Dame versus Ohio State was a – I didn't see any of that game, honestly. I didn't. But I saw Notre Dame lost, and I saw Ryan Day call out an 85-year-old, 86-year-old Lou Holtz. Pretty hilarious. Pretty freaking hilarious. But – uh. Other games this week in Florida, Kentucky is actually a pretty decent one. 
That could be a decent one. You got Florida guy trying to build momentum. They beat Charlotte last week. They obviously beat Tennessee at home. You got Kentucky being 4-0 in the series. And Devin Leary, 1,060 yards. That's five interceptions on the season so far, which is not great. But that will be a fun one. At Kentucky, Kentucky is the favorite in that game. Georgia-Auburn should be an interesting one. Nebraska-Michigan, I'm actually intrigued by this. I'm actually intrigued by this. I think Nebraska will, weirdly, weirdly, I think Nebraska can cover this game. I do weirdly think that. I, I can't really explain why. Just because of the fact, well I, well, I can. I'm going to try to explain why, I guess. Nebraska, J.J. McCarthy, his worst game arguably last year was against Nebraska at Michigan. I think Nebraska are a much better coach team now under Matt Rule than they were under Scott Frost at that time. Scott Frost might have been fired at that point. I don't remember exactly the timeline of Scott Frost's tenure in Nebraska. But this game being at Nebraska, I think they could cover. I don't think it'll be a good game. But you look at Michigan's last two weeks against Rutgers and Bowling Green, they have struggled in those games. Against Bowling Green, they were only up 13-7 at halftime. Jaden McCarthy threw three not very good interceptions in that game. And against Rutgers, they didn't really get things going until later in the game. Like, this is a game where I think Michigan will win. It's an 18-point spread. I bet they can win by 16. I bet that. I bet that's what will happen. My score prediction for Michigan versus, uh, maybe not 16. What's the score going to be in this one? Like, 31-14? I think it'd be. Let me do the math because I my math might be might not be math in here. Hold up. Yeah, thirty-one fourteen. I think it'd be a score here. They scored thirty-one points last week against Rutgers. Is Rutgers worse than Nebraska? I don't know. Are they better than Nebraska? I don't know. They scored thirty-one points the last two weeks. They haven't looked great in any of the games they played. Necessarily great, like to the level that we're expecting them to be. So thirty-one points, three straight weeks. I think it's possible. Thirty-one fourteen for Michigan over Nebraska. LSU Ole Miss will be fun. Stanford, Oregon will be an absolute bloodbath. Good Lord, Stanford reeks, and Oregon's going to absolutely trounce them. We got Iowa State, Oklahoma again, Duke, Notre Dame. South Carolina, Tennessee. Spencer Rattler versus Joe Milton. This will be a a tough atmosphere at Neyland Stadium, but Tennessee's not that great. From the games I've watched this year, I've watched them against Florida. I watched them against Austin P. Virginia, they looked pretty decent. They looked pretty decent last week against UTSA. But Austin P and Florida were two games that they did not, you know, really wow anybody. Like, this offense was supposed to be like, take another step. Joe Milton's got this crazy arm. He's crazy athletic. Oh, they're going to do all these different things with this offense. This offense could really be top gear this year. And it's kind of struggled to get going. It really has. So, I wouldn't be shocked if South Carolina not only covered the 11.5 point spread, I wouldn't be surprised if South Carolina came in there and beat them. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Spencer Rattler's playing some really good football right now. I would not be shy. Very efficient football as well. We'll get to that in a little bit, though. We got Washington, Arizona. That'll be a blood. But 18 and a half is extremely low for this game. I understand Arizona is not a horrific football team, but Washington is insane. Washington is so much better than a lot of the teams in the Pac-12. Like, the, look at the top three teams in the college football regards to total yards per game on offense. They're all Pac-12 teams. It's Washington, Oregon, USC. Maybe not in that order, but those are the top three teams. And they're getting Jalen McMillan back. So you're getting one of your top three receivers back. You got Pogue. You got Adunze there. Michael Penix, one of the favorites to win the Heisman. That game against USC later in the season could be the Heisman decider. Game between Caleb Williams and Michael Penix. Penix having a great year. He's having a fantastic, fantastic year. Which is not too surprising. I mean, you got three of the best receivers in all of college football. You got one of the best overall receivers in the room, Adunze. Like, there's so many ways they can kill you. And they're so fast. They're so ruthless. They're going no huddle up by pretty much triple digits before halftime. Like Michigan State, they were up 28-0. We're running no huddle. Scored like 30 seconds left in the half to make it 35-0 into the half. 
That's levels of disrespect. But I'm here for it. And it's hilarious. And then we got Texas versus Kansas as well. I forgot about that. I skimmed over that one. But Texas, third overall Texas versus 24th ranked Kansas. Texas 16-point favorite in this game at uh, DKR Texas Memorial Stadium. But this week's going to be fun for college football. I'm very excited. Have we got any good unranked games? between Besides Iowa-Michigan State, obviously. Besides Iowa-Michigan State, obviously. We scroll down a little bit. Oh, Penn State Northwestern could be brutal. Clemson-Syracuse? I mean, 4-0 Syracuse versus 2-2 Clemson? Grand Clemson, both Clemson's lost against top 25 teams in Duke and Florida State. Seven-point favorites, Clemson, at the Carrier Dome. That could be actually actually be a decent one. James Madison versus South Alabama at the same time as Colorado-USC, but that'd be a very fun one. Two-and-a-half-point favorites is uh, St. James Madison, the Dukes, in that game. Keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Bowling Green-Georgia Tech. Why is that game on? Okay, just giving Georgia Tech some <laughs> booster wins. What other games do we got? What other games do we got? What other games do we got? Keep scrolling. I don't have a Pitt, Virginia. We're Virginia Tech, sorry. That could be an all right game. San Diego State versus Air Force. That'd be a fun one. Alabama, Mississippi State, I guess we forgot about that one. The ranked games are good. I like the ranked games a lot. There's not a lot of great unranked games this weekend. But, you know, you can't win them all. You can't win them all. As for the NFL, we've got some very intriguing matchups this weekend because we got the Bills taking on the Dolphins. We got the Bills taking on the Dolphins. I've been seeing a bunch of clips this week about can Tua displace Josh Allen as the crown of the AFCs. I saw Stephen A. Smith say Josh Allen is slowly teetering out of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL, and I'm 100% here for it. I am 100%. I think it's hilarious that this is all being said. I think it's absolutely hilarious that this is all happening right now because <laughs> Josh Allen's lost twice to the Dolphins in his career. I'm not saying the Bills are going to Buffalo this Sunday and beat the brakes out of Miami. I'm not even saying they'll necessarily win this game. I think they will. I think they'll beat the Dolphins because, remember, the Dolphins ended the Bills' like quest for the undefeated season last year in week three. Now, this is week four, but still, the quest is still on. The Bills' defense playing insane. They had a great game against the Commanders. I understand it's against Commanders, but the defense played insane. The defense played so much better, more flying around to the ball, so much more to under Sean McDermott versus what they were under Leslie Frazier. I'm 100% here for it, and they got a lot of – they got a big challenge. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush here. Jalen Waddell is back. And a concussion protocol. And let's not pretend that we didn't just watch US, or USC. I was watching BYU and I saw Keaton Slovis on the screen. Sorry. And let's not pretend Miami didn't drop 70 points last week in the NFL. 70 points in an NFL game. What was it? 600, 700 yards total offense against the Denver Broncos? Like, that is absolutely ridiculous. And Bills don't have Jordan Poyer for this game. And, I, and for those of you who are worried about this, I did see something today that said DeMar Hamlin should be playing in this game. So we can stop doing the live tweets about DeMar Hamlin being inactive every week. We can stop doing that now. Because most of you out there never heard DeMar Hamlin before the situation happened. DeMar Hamlin is an all-right-at-best football player who wasn't a starter until Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer both got hurt. So when he's inactive, I'm not surprised. No Bills fans surprised. So I'm tired of seeing it on social media every single Sunday that DeMar Hamlin's inactive. Of course he's inactive. He's not that good. He played perfectly through the preseason. He earned the roster spot. He's not earned anything else after that. He I fair played him. He definitely earned the roster spot. He played better than Dean Marlowe in the preseason. That's why he got the spot. He has not I don't I'm fine with him not playing. 
in the regular season. It's, it's per, I'm perfectly fine with that. What concerns me is Kyrie Elam, the former first-round draft pick in last year's draft, not playing a single snap, not playing a single game, not even dressing for a game up to this point in the season. That's the thing that we should be talking about more. And he's supposed to be dressing against Miami this weekend because he's really good at bump man coverage. Bump and run coverage, sorry. That's like his thing. He played well against the Dolphins the past year, the past two times he played him. So now he's like, oh, we're going to not play him a single snap. We're not going to dress him for a single game this year until we play a team that just dropped 70 points. I don't like that strategy. I would have liked to see him at least some capacity against the commander. So, you know, he has some sort of a warm-up game, but I guess he can't win them all. Can't win them all. But, yeah, can we stop tweeting about DeMar Hamlin not dressing or being inactive? I did see he's supposed to play this game with Jordan Poyer being out, but, man, can we stop, please? Can we please stop? I want to see DeMar Hamlin play as much as the next guy, but he doesn't need to play. He doesn't need to because he's not better than any of the safeties Bills have on the active roster. Your argument is with him and Cam Lewis. Cam Lewis is more versatile. Cam Lewis plays more on special teams. Cam Lewis can play nickel corner. I saw someone compare Cam Lewis to Nathan Peterman. Like, just because of Justin Jefferson mossing him on the game against the Vikings last year. Nathan Peterman threw five interceptions in one half. Cam Lewis got mossed one time. That was it. Five interceptions and a half. Like, anybody can get mossed. I've never seen anybody throw five interceptions and a half before. I've seen some of the best players in the NFL get mossed. Best players in college football get mossed. It happens. No one throws five interceptions and a half. Do not compare anybody to Nathan Peterman. Do not compare anybody to Nathan Peterman. Now, that being said, I would have loved, loved to see Nathan Peterman play last week against Kansas City Chiefs because I was at the game, the Bears-Chiefs game. That is one of the worst football games I've ever been to in my life. That game was brutal. I loved everything leading up to the game. Like, it was Brady's bachelor party, Brady and Carly. Brady who's obviously been on the show before. Him and Carly are getting married next February. So we had the bachelor slash bachelorette party this past weekend in Kansas City. A lot of fun. The weekend was a lot of fun. The only bad thing about that weekend is that we had to sit through that Kansas City Chiefs-Chicago Bears game. That's the only negative that happened that weekend. Because, obviously, I hate the Chiefs. I cannot stand the Kansas City Chiefs. Brady knows this. I'm not, I'm not a Chiefs fan. I could give a rat's ass about the Bears. But I cannot cheer for the Chiefs. I was bi- I was the Chiefs' biggest hater that day. I was wearing my Patrick Kane jersey. Got so many compliments on the jersey. I had my Bills shirt underneath it. I was not even cheering for the Bears. I was just cheering for the Chiefs' downfall. That is all I was doing in this game. And that game was brutal. That, is, that, might, that might be the worst game I've ever been to. Like, I've watched Iowa beat the absolute pig snot out of Western Michigan. With, with Jake Rudock was there and Kevontae Martin Manley had two punt return touchdowns. I was at that game. Brutal game. I've watched Iowa beat Iowa State 35-3. Brutal game. This Bears-Chiefs game was just depressing. That's the, and I, we stayed for the entire game. We stayed, which I was kind of, I was expecting to see because Aaron, one of the people that's in the wedding, uh, big Bears fan, big Bears fan. So you had Aaron being the Bears fan, Brady being the Chiefs fan, everybody else there was eight guys there. Everybody else was neutral except for me because I was a Bears fan as well that day, except for me. But we had like Andrew, he was wearing a Packers jersey. We had Jared wearing a Vikings jersey. I had my Blackhawks jersey on. We looked like we were just completely lost. That was, Aaron had a Bears jersey on. We were completely lost. We had no, we were all showed up to the wrong game. I have a picture of Andrew and Jared carrying a cooler together with their Vikings and Packers jerseys on. And it's absolutely crazy. Absolute scenes at this game. But the Bears stink. The Bears absolutely stink. Every single part of that team stinks. I saw a picture on Twitter of Matt Eberflus covering his mouth, calling plays on defense. Ain't nobody reading your mouth. Ain't nobody reading your lips. Down 41 nothing. Ain't nobody reading your lips about what play you're calling. It's brutal. 
The Bears stink. And all you can ask for right now is that the Bears get out of this little, like, system that they're in right now. Because they seem to find themselves in this weird, like, cycle where they hire a coach who didn't draft the quarterback. And then you fire the, you get rid of the quarterback, and then you keep the coach so he can draft his own guy, and then you fire the coach, and then you have the quarterback, and then you get a new coach, get rid of the quarterback, he's not, the guy there didn't draft him, so it's just this perpetual cycle of problems that just keeps leading more and more issues, and the Bears just cannot develop quarterbacks. Justin Fields is not this bad. He is not this bad, but he looks awful. He is not this bad. And I thought there'd be a step forward this year with Luke Getzey because he looked good last year. There were like signs last year. He almost set the single-season rushing record for quarterbacks. He almost broke MVP, un- unanimous MVP Lamar Jackson's rushing record. Like, all you needed to do was, like, get him the passing numbers, and then we'll be talking about one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. He stinks right now. And I don't know what's going on. I didn't think that this would get this bad this year. I was of the mindset that, and I was told by this, that the Bears could actually be a decent team this year with all the signings they made this offseason. Justin Fields, another year of development. Getting DJ Moore, trading the number one overall pick for DJ Moore. Getting Darryl, Darnell Wright at right tackle. Like, all these different things. Like, oh, the Bears are going to be actually decent this year. They stink. They are bad. And I understand they play the Chiefs, and a lot of teams look bad against the Chiefs. That's fair. They That was brutal. That was all. You know how bad of a team you have to be? We were listening to a Bears postgame show after the game. And they brought this up. You know how bad you have to be to beat what? Has the spread changed? Has the spread changed at all? I haven't looked at it since last week for the Bears-Broncos game. Hold on. Yeah. You know how bad you have to be to be a three-and-a-half-point underdog at home against a team that just got beat by 50 points in the NFL? And not just got beat by 50. Allowed 70 in the process. You know how bad of a team you have to be? That's like all new levels of bad. The Bears are the current favorites in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes because remember, they have the Panthers pick as well. They are the two worst teams in the NFL are the Bears and the Panthers. Bears have both those picks. And based off record-wise, because obviously the Broncos are worse than the Panthers, but just based off what we've seen this year. But we're going off 0-3 things. There's four 0-3 teams in the NFL. The rankings go Bears, Broncos, Panthers, Vikings. The Vikings are not a 0-3 team. They're not. They're just not. They played some tough teams apart from the Buccaneers, like the Chargers and Eagles. I wouldn't. I think we had them going one and two through those games, anyways. But the Bron- the Buccaneers game was odd. That that one I didn't expect. The Bucks are not. I, I refuse to believe the Bucks are a good football team. So I completely flabbergasted by what happened in that game. But as for the Bears, I don't even know what I, if I want them to get Caleb Williams. Like, if you're looking at the Bears right now and you get those top two picks, the top two needs for the Bears or three needs, I guess you could say, are like quarterback. If they get the number one overall pick, they're going to get a new quarterback, obviously. You got to fire Eberflus, though. You don't give him the opportunity to get another quarterback. You don't give him that opportunity. Yeah, like You saw how awesome it was when Hugh Jackson got his job after going 1-15 and then going 0-16, or 0-16 and then 1-15. Like, you can't keep the coach if you get back-to-back number one overall picks. You cannot do that. That is impossible. Like, end the cycle. End the cycle. Ryan Poles, you can keep him however you want. You've got to hire a new coach. Ben Johnson's in the division. Get Ben Johnson from Detroit. Bring his ass to Chicago. Draft a quarterback. That's what you have to do at this point. Because Justin Fields, you are ruining his career right now. Because I watched this guy at Ohio State. I watched him last year. This guy is not this bad. 
He's struggling to read defenses. He's a one-read guy at best at this point. Like, I think they ran the same fade route like 18 times this game. I think he completed one of them. They're all fairly accurate. Like, he's got the arm. He's got the mentality for it. But it's just not clicking. It's just not. And I don't know where he goes from here. I don't know what team he starts for him from here. If you get him a restart, like, go somewhere else, get him, re- like, get him a nice restart. Maybe as a backup and he has a chance to earn a starting job. Go to, like, Atlanta. Sit behind Desmond Ritter and they can, like, compete against a guy you know you're better than, Desmond Ritter. Because I'm tired of watching Desmond Ritter overthrow Kyle Pitts and Drake London. I'm getting sick and tired of it. Kyle Pitts had a damn near walk-in touchdown last week. Desmond Ritter overthrew him by five yards. I'm tired of that. I'm tired with how the Falcons manage games. I, I, cannot, I cannot stand it. It pissed me off. I can't stand how the Lions are managing games with Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. Pisses me off absolutely pisses me off but do the bears with going back to what we were talking about a little bit ago do the bears with these top two picks they draft caleb williams obviously he's going to be the number one pick regardless of who picks there do you get olufashanu from penn state the tackle they get two bookend tackles so you got freaking darnell Wright, olufashanu they got another tackle there right now um i'm completely blanking on what his name is but do you go with the tackle, or do you go Malvin Harrison Jr.? Do you go like the Cincinnati Bengals route and go like, well, hey, look at them when they drafted a good quarterback, a good wide receiver. Look at what happened there. They drafted T. Higgins the same draft they drafted Joe Burrow in. I'm not even talking about Jamar Chase. They drafted T. Higgins the same draft they drafted Burrow. So, like, do you go down that route and go like, hey, let's build this guy's these built these let's build these two's chemistry, so we can really have something special. DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney in the slot, Marvin Harrison Jr. on the other side. That could be freaking awesome. When Caleb Williams a quarterback, and you just got to get the right guy a head coach. I heard the Bears channel talk about this the other day, getting Roman, uh, Greg Roman as the head coach, or OC, or whatever it was. Do not hire Greg Roman as OC. I understand he had the Lamar, he was the OC for the Lamar Jackson Manus MVP season. That dude is not a good offensive coordinator. Like, do people not realize the Bills' old offensive coordinators, if they got fired from Buffalo, they're not a good offensive coordinator, especially during that time frame? Like, Nathaniel Hackett, why was he a head coach at all, apart from being friends with Aaron Rodgers? The only reason he got this head coaching, the offensive coordinator job of the Jets was so they could get Aaron Rodgers. And guess what? The offense now sucks because Aaron Rodgers is not there. And Zach Wilson stinks as well. The Jets, I don't know what they're going to do because Zach Wilson definitely ain't it either. That 2020 quarterback draft class or 2021 quarterback draft class, sorry, is not looking great at this point in time. Trey Lance got traded to Dallas. Now the third string quarterback behind Dak and Cooper Rush. Then he got Justin Fields getting booed out of Chicago stinking it up there. You got Zach Wilson sucking complete ass. You got Mac Jones punching Sauce Gardner in the dick. And you got Trevor Lawrence who's struggling this year. Trevor Lawrence is a good... Trevor Lawrence is the clear best quarterback in the draft class. But he's even struggling this year. That first round draft class went from being one of the best ever potentially to now we're like, man, this class kind of reeks at this point. You had three quarterbacks taking with the first three picks. That, that never happens. Like the only other, the two other times I can think of that are Tim Couch, Dominic McNabb, and Achilles Smith in 99, and then you got Pastor, or Plunkett, Pastorini, and Manning in 71. Those are the only time I think it was 71 or 72. I can't remember which one. But those are the only other times I can think of that. And granted, only one of those guys worked out in any of those drafts. <laughs> I mean, Jim Plunkett won a couple Super Bowls, but Arch Manning was the best one out of those guys. Jim Plunkett was a backup both years. The Raiders won the Super Bowl. He just happened to get put in, and then they go over and win the Super Bowl. Be like Sam Darnold doing that. 
going to the 49ers, going in with Brock Purdy gets hurt, and then going to win the Super Bowl. It'd be pretty much like that. <laughs> That's what that would be. Is Sam Darnold really the reason the Raiders, the 49ers going to win the Super Bowl? No. <laughs> but, man, I hate that the Bills – I hate this new non-flex rule because why is the Jets-Chiefs game staying on Sunday Night Football when the Bills and Dolphins play? Why is that happening? That is That is brutal. That is absolutely brutal. But with the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football, there's some news that popped up recently. That Taylor Swift – will be at the Chiefs-Jets game. Taylor Swift will be at the Chiefs-Jets game. That is crazy. That is absolutely crazy. She was at the game, Bears-Chiefs game. What a game to introduce to. So you got all the Swifties coming into these games. They're getting Their first two games of NFL experience are against the Jets and Zach Wilson. Or against the, the Bears and Zach Wilson. That is a fantastic way to see your, your idol's boyfriend, potentially, two games. That's a great first two games to start off with. Great first two games to start off with. Like, I saw some earlier that the Chiefs schedule in their next few games. Hold up. Where is it at? I'm trying to find it. I have a lot of screenshots from last weekend because I, I tried to get a bunch of stuff ready for this. So now the Bears are out. So their next games are the Jets, Vikings, Broncos, Chargers, and Broncos again. Now that the Bears are out of there, well, I guess the Bears count either. Either way, there's two wins between those rest of those games. Bears had no wins. Still don't have wins. Vikings don't have any wins. Broncos don't have any wins times two. Chargers won last week against the Vikings, and the Jets obviously, you know, beat the Bills. You got two wins out of your next, what, six games? Five games now because the Bears are out. That is insane. So the Chiefs, after losing week one of the Lions, are be sitting, which is, again, expected. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. No one's really surprised at this point how good the Chiefs are. It's the Chiefs. I don't care. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But this Taylor Swift news is crazy absolutely crazy they didn't show her I, I was actually surprised they didn't show her on the jumbotron once i'm really surprised about it keen slovis just threw out oh, almost big but sparked some interesting debates on social media so what we're going to do right now this little game i was thinking of it's uh who's more famous who's more famous taylor swift or blank we're going to go through every big sport in the world okay within reason because we're not going to go cricket or badminton or you know, ski ball sports. We're not going to do those guys. But if we're just looking at who's more famous between the big sports in America. So obviously, Travis Kelsey is going to be the main person there we we're talking about here. Is Taylor Swift more famous than Travis Kelsey? Yes, of course. I've seen debates about this all the time. Or on social media re- a lot recently. Sadly, a lot recently. Because it's kind of obvious, isn't it? It's kind of obvious. Football fans know who Taylor Swift is. There's some Taylor Swift fans who have no idea who Travis Kelsey is. Like, there's, it's just simple. It's not really that. It's not even that insulting. Taylor Swift's probably the what? Her and who else? So we got Rihanna, Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, uh, Harry Styles for like the biggest artists in the world. Like most, like everybody recognized anyways. I think those are like the main people out there. Every any people in every walk of life in the world knows who Taylor Swift is. Not everybody knows who Travis Kelsey is. I that's blatantly true. Now we're talking about the grand scheme of the NFL. The most famous player in the NFL, now that Tom Brady's gone, is Patrick Mahomes. Is she bigger than Patrick Mahomes? Again, yes. She's bigger than Patrick Mahomes. We know this. It's it's simple science in this one. We go to basketball. Is she bigger than LeBron James? That's the that's a debate right here. Now that we're outside of football. We look at the rest of the world in sports. Is she bigger than LeBron James? 
is she bigger than LeBron Jahames? Because LeBron Jahames has got some massive, massive fan. He's got a massive fan base. Massive fan base. And he's got skin in the game. He's been around longer than Taylor has. 2003 draft to now. He's going to year 21. Like This dude's been around for freaking ever. Is he more famous than Taylor Swift? That one's close. That one's honestly close. I don't know. Because the problem is, again, it's music. But we're not just going to go Taylor Swift wash. That's boring. So just for fun, we're going to say LeBron James is more famous than Taylor Swift. I think. Is that wrong? It's probably wrong. But just for just for sake of argument, we're going to have LeBron James more famous than Taylor Swift. Baseball. Who is the most famous person in baseball right now? I mean, the biggest star is Shohei Otani. Is he the most famous player? I mean, either way, in baseball, it doesn't matter. It's Taylor Swift because then Mike Trout's up there too. And then uh, who else would even be mentioned up there for like most famous baseball players? Like Ronald Acuna. He's probably going to win MVP this year for the NL. Aaron Judge. I'm just trying to think of like the biggest name players in baseball right now. No one of the Cubs, obviously. We're not going to talk about the Cubs today. Stay away from that topic for a little bit. Bryce Harper would be another big name. But either way, the, no matter how many times you slice it, Taylor Swift's more famous than everybody in baseball. So we're at 2-1 to one for Taylor. We go to hockey. Do we even need to have this conversation? She's bigger than is she bigger than Connor McDavid or Connor Bedard? Yes, maybe not Connor Bedard, but we'll just for the sake of argument, we'll go. Taylor Swift is bigger than Connor McDavid in hockey. And then soccer, is she bigger than Lionel Messi or Ronaldo? I don't think so. And this is just me being biased. I th- ah, the ah, the problem is she's a musician. That's the issue. But we're trying to have fun here. You can't just say wash. You can't just go wash. That is impossible. Like Messi just won the World Cup. Ronaldo is one of the biggest brands in sports. I think Ronaldo is the most followed male on Instagram. Like, I, I'm i pretty, yeah, I would go either Messi or Ronaldo are both bigger than Taylor Swift. Potentially. I think the only two people you could say are LeBron, and LeBron, LeBron Messi, and Ronaldo, I think. Because it's soccer, we go either one. Basketball is more definitive. Like, we know LeBron's the biggest player in basketball. He's not the best anymore, but, you know, he's the biggest name in basketball. You could throw, pull, pull in, like, Curry. You could pull in Atsukumpo. You could pull in uh, Nikola Jokic. Like, you got all these different players, Luka Doncic. But it's LeBron. It's still LeBron. And it will be LeBron when he retires. So, yeah, I think we're only going two. We're going two to three. NASCAR, do we go NASCAR? I mean, we do, we go other sports, and we're just going to keep building the rep towards Taylor. I think the only two sports that we could compete with Taylor are basketball and, and soccer, I think, realistically. I think that's like we're like Messi going into Miami. That's the same thing that we've seen with Taylor Swift tickets on Ticketmaster. That's the exact same thing that we're seeing there. It's literally the exact same thing. So I I would have to go just for sake of argument. So we'll go three, two Taylor. Congratulations, Taylor. I'm winning that. That's pretty big. That's a pretty big one. So we'll go, we'll, we'll end that one there. We'll end the debate there because <laughs> there's going to be some people that are going to be upset with me about that one. And then while we're embracing debate, I guess I got sent this on Instagram the other day, and uh, I wanted to go over it a little bit. I don't know how much we're going to go over it, but we're, we're trying to talk about it a little bit. Where is it at? Where is that? Come on, load. There we go. So this is the biggest college athletes. This has nothing to do with really anything we're talking about, but I was told I had to talk about this today. So I will go over this today. So this was an article done a couple days ago, the biggest sports, the biggest college sports stars of the past 20 years ranked. Okay. This is the officially official list. And there's only, 
Oh, it's just, okay, I thought it was 20. 14, Manti Teo. I mean, yeah. I mean, Manti Teo was a massive story. Massive story. The fa- Everybody knew about the fake girlfriend thing. Everybody was following along with that. Every single person knows about that. So, yes, 14 is fair for him. Or at least being mentioned. I, I will go over the rankings later because I have no idea who else is on this list. I have inklings about who's on this list. Vince Young. was Vince, Is Vince Young bigger star-wise than Manti Teo? I think Vince Young might be the greatest college quarterback of all time, but as regards to story, there's not a lot of stories that are bigger than Manti Teo. When I say when I say Vince Young is bigger than Manti Teo, in regards to star power, that's the question. So I have to see. Vince Young obviously has the greatest game ever played in college football, the Rose Bowl against USC. Great legacy there. Didn't win a Heisman Trophy, unfortunately. But... It, yeah, probably, because Vince Young, again, I would say is maybe the greatest college quarterback of all time, especially the greatest player to never win a Heisman, unless you want to throw in Reggie Bush, because technically he never won a Heisman. So you go there. 12, John Wall. Dude, John Wall had a song about him while he was still at Kentucky. He had a whole dance about himself. Like, John Wall, we be in the city where we like to do the dance. Pass to the left, throw some money at your hand. Do it for the city. Do it for the fans. We ball like wall. Now you got to do the dance. Everybody hit the John Wall. John Wall. John. Everybody knew that song. I was in seventh grade, sixth, seventh grade when he was balling out of Kentucky. How many college athletes now do you know that have a song about them? And we got money in the game now. How many do you know? How many can you think of the top? John Wall was massive at Kentucky. So that's where we have the conversation here. He was bigger than Vince Young at Kentucky by far. That's where we have Manti Teo. Like everybody knew Manti Teo. It's kind of like the Taylor Swift thing. If you didn't even, if you even, did, even if you didn't follow football, you knew Manti Teo. Vince Young, from a player standpoint, is a way better player than Manti Teo was. But the star quality, John Wall had a whole freaking song about him. He had a whole dance after him. John Wall was sick at Kentucky. Love John Wall at Kentucky. Uh, what number are we at? Eleven. Caitlin Clark. Okay. Um. Because now we're getting to an interesting territory here because in regards to impact on an individual sport, there's hardly anybody that had a bigger impact on an individual sport recently than Caitlin Clark has on college women's college basketball. So that's the conversation. We're at. Like, I talked about this when we were watching the tournament. There were people that had no any inkling about watching women's basketball until Iowa started doing well. At least here in the obviously here in the state of Iowa. I can't speak for everybody else, but for the state of Iowa, everybody started watching women's college basketball because of Caitlin Clark. Des Moines girl goes to Iowa, gets Iowa to the national championship game, best player in college basketball. Like everybody sat down to watch Iowa women's basketball. Everybody. It didn't matter what where you were from, what you believed in, everybody sat down to watch Iowa women's basketball. So that's where the converse like bigger than John Wall though. I don't know. But again, it talks about the whole individual sport aspect. No one meant more for that sport than Kalen Clark. Did John Wall help grow men's college basketball? Potentially. Potentially. But we know Kalen Clark did. So that's that's the interesting conversation there. Number 10, Angel Reese. Okay, for the same breath, I guess. Yeah, okay. I mean, more. she's more, what do you want to call it? Marketable, I guess. She's more out there. Than Kaylin Clark. Like, she did all these interviews after the national championship game. And it's, right, it's rightly so. I mean, she's the national champion. She has right to go out and do interviews. Everybody's want to talk about the national championship. 
Especially after the whole, like, oh, I can't see me type thing, which no one really should have given rat's ass about because it wasn't really that big of a deal at the time. The only issue that I remember having was that she followed her around, but that wasn't even that big of a deal then. And Kayla Clark was pretty much like, yeah, not a big deal. It's trash talk. Angel Reese come out. Yeah, I have no problems with Kayla Clark. She had no problem with me. And yeah, yeah, that's true. So for growing a sport, these two are instrumental in growing women's basketball. Obviously, I'd flip the order here. But that's coming from a person from the state of Iowa. So I'm obviously going to be partially biased towards that. But bigger than John Wall. I'm fine with saying they're bigger than like Vince Young and Manti Teo. Man, 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 Manti Teo was massive. I don't know. It's close. It's weird because they've helped shape women's basketball. Everybody's paying attention to women's basketball now. When no one was before. Respectfully. No one was before. I'm sorry. Respectfully. No one was. But that's an interesting one. I Those two in the top, I'm not mad that they're on this list at all. I think they deserve to be on this list. But my nostalgia kick, like I did a whole, John Wall had a song about him. That's John Wall. Everybody knew who John Wall was. Lamar Jackson, nine. Yeah, no, I don't, I, I don't see it. I, I love Lamar Jackson at Louisville. Lamar Jackson is one of the greatest Heisman winners of all time. Lamar Jackson had a great season at Louisville. He followed up with a really good season following that. He won a unanimous MVP but, and I, I agree with this first line here. Lamar Jackson doesn't give enough credit for what he did in college football. I agree with that. But he's not bigger than anybody that was listed before him. Respectfully. And again, this is coming from a really big Lamar Jackson fan. NFL, college, whatever. I love myself some Lamar Jackson. It's my second favorite quarterback in the NFL behind Josh Allen. But bigger than Kalen Clark. Like, for, again, what they did for women's college basketball... He did not do the same for college football. Vince Young won a national championship. Everybody and their mom has watched that 05 Rose Bowl game. Everybody's watched that Rose Bowl game. Lamar Jackson did not have that same impact in my mind than the other people that we have seen before. So, like, Angel Reese, Kalen Clark, John Wall especially, Vince Young and Manti Teo, I wouldn't put Lamar Jackson at night. I don't even know if I'd put him on the list, respectfully. Well, I have to go see who else is, if there's anybody missing on the list or anything that pops in my head. But number eight, Cam Newton. For an individual season, Cam Newton had one of the greatest individual seasons of all time when he was at Auburn, when he won the national championship at Auburn. College star. He was a massive star. He was a big, he deserves to be on this list more than Lamar Jackson was. Cam Newton was a star in college football. Everybody knew Cam Newton. It's a similar thing to that of Vince Young. Similar thing there. Yeah, he was massive at Auburn. The one in natural. I think he's he deserves to be on this list. I agree with that. He deserves to be on this list. Number seven, Joe Burrow. Yeah, again, everybody knows who Joe Burrow is. Same thing with Cam Newton. Like one of the greatest individual seasons of college football history. I think that's the greatest college football team of all time. At least the team that I watch. I know the Miami team of the early two thousand. I have a word with that, but that LSU team, they were insane. They were absolutely insane. Like all the players they had in that team: Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, uh, freaking Justin Jefferson. And you had a 1,300, 1,600-yard back, and Clyde was a layer behind him. He had an elite offensive line, elite defense. You had the best freshman corner in the country in Derek Stingley. Like, you had such a good football team there. Great football team. Dominated literally everybody. That game against Oklahoma, I've never laughed harder watching a semifinal game in my freaking life because it was like, what the hell is happening? So, yeah, Joe Burrow at seven, that's perfectly fine. Him and Cam Newton are fine. They are fine. And then the, the smoke and the cigar thing after the game. Yeah, perfectly fine. Number six, Jimmer Fredette. 
Jimmer Fredette was not a bigger star than John Wall. Uh, if we're talking strictly college basketball, Jimmer Fredette, Jimmer Range, that was everywhere. I, I remember sitting back then. It was around a similar time. Jimmer Range was a thing. Oh, they even mentioned Jimmer Range as a thing in the, the article. Before Steph Curry took over the NBA, it was Jimmer Fredette who had, his, who had the world reputation for pulling up from 30 feet out for no reason. Yeah, that's true. Jimmy, Jimmer Range used to be a term used for people taking unnecessarily deep threes. Yeah? No, Ginger, Jimmer Range was a thing. Jimmer Range was 100% a thing. But John Wall. John, the dude had a song about him. I understand John Wall was better in the NBA, but Jimmer's balling out in China right now. But John Wall is bigger than Jimmer Fredette. And I, lo- I loved myself. Jimmer. Everybody was watching Jimmer Fredette in BYU. Jimmer Range? Yeah. I guess that's similar up there with the John Wall post thing. Everybody was doing that, too, at that time. So, yeah. I mean, I'm fine with Jimmer Fredette being on the list. Jimmer Fredette, Jimmer Range was an old thing. Five Tim Tebow, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Again, in the in the discussion for the greatest college football quarterback of all time, so yeah, makes sense. Polarizing figure with an insane Florida Gators team, won a national championship, won a Heisman, first sophomore to ever win a Heisman. So yeah, not surprised there. Extremely polarizing figure. Yeah, he's top five easily for me. Zion? Zion at Duke? Duke? I mean, he was one of the few people that actually people that hated Duke would root for at Duke. He felt like an anti-Duke player. I remember his shoe blew up during a game. Like they were, and they lost in the second round of the tournament to UCF. Like it was all these crazy things. But every everybody watched Duke basketball. It was like R.J. Barrett. You had Cam Reddish there. You had Zion Williamson. Like everybody was watching Duke basketball. But again, we're even bringing Jimmy Fredette in this list. It's close. It's close. Like, is J.J. Reddick going to be on this list? I doubt it. We're at number four. J.J. Reddick was a freaking hate machine back in the day. Everybody hated J.J. Reddick. But J.J. Reddick dropped 40 on you every freaking night. So, would J.J. Reddick be on this list? Is Kevin Durant going to be on this list for what he did at Texas for that one year? Like, there's a lot of people you could throw on this list that I would put higher than Zion. But... That just everybody knew. That, that's my thing here. Like, everybody knew. Does everybody know Zion? I don't know. That John Wall is a lot lower than what I think he should be, in my humble opinion. Three Deion Sanders at Colorado. I mean, everybody's talking about it now. Every, Coach Deion Sanders, everybody's talking about it. Three feels a little high, though, doesn't it? I mean, for currently, yeah. I mean, it's insane. Literally, everybody and their mom's talking about Deion Sanders at Colorado. Is three a little high for this point in time? Deion Sanders, one of the greatest corners, the greatest corner of all time. He's a, had great success at head coaching. But every, like, they've, I guess, yeah, they had college game day back-to-back weeks or two of the first three weeks of the season because they had it for Texas, Texas uh, TCU, Nebraska. They have it for Colorado State, too. I think they had it, something there, like pregame show there for all three of their games. And I think they're going to have it again this week. Yeah, Fox, big pregame kickoff, big noon kickoff is going this week. So every single game Colorado's played this year, I don't know if they had it in Oregon, I guess, but almost every single game they played this year, they've had some sort of pregame show there. So yeah, everybody's talking about Coach Prime. That's that, I guess that's fair. Number two, Reggie Bush. Okay, this is what we talked about earlier. Heisman winners that never won, you know. Guys that never won a Heisman. We got Vince Young, we got Reggie Bush. Yep, Reggie Bush, fair. So I don't even really need to talk about Reggie Bush. Number one, I mean, we, they had a documentary about him. I'm just taking a punt right now. They had a documentary about him just recently. And my dad and I were talking about this when we were watching it. This dude was literally the only person I can actually think of that was bigger than the sport when he played. That's Johnny Manziel. So, it, it, number one, going off this list, it has to be Johnny Manziel, right? It has to be. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Johnny Manziel. Not, not even a 
conversation. Johnny Football. Everybody watched Johnny Football back in the day. Every single person watched Johnny Manziel. Whether it was the partying, the player on the field, everybody knew everything about Johnny. At least that we thought until we found out the whole, my dad, my family's not really rich type thing. That was really funny. But Johnny Manziel was literally college football. He was bigger than college football. He's the reason Texas A&M have a 100,000 seat stadium. Literally. Like Johnny Manziel was everything in college football. So there's not really a lot to discuss there. Is there anybody that they're missing though? Joe, Lamar Jackson's really high on this list. Lamar Jackson at number nine, I don't think he really deserves... When you look at all the other players on this list, they all had a significant impact. Like, everybody knew who they were. Zion's the reach. Zion's a little bit of a reach, but at four anyways. But Lamar Jackson at number nine, above John Wall, above Kalen Clark, Angel Reese, Vince Young. He's not above Vince Young. You can't. If we're just talking strictly on quarterbacks, he's not above Vince Young. He's not. He can't be. Like... We're missing out, like, if we're talking about just strictly quarterbacks again, like Matt Leiner at USC won a Heisman before Reggie Bush did. Michael Vick brought Virginia Tech to a freaking national championship game. Obviously lost to Florida State, but they were playing a 35-year-old Chris Winkie. <laughs> so kind of a losing fight there. But Virginia, imagine Virginia Tech going to a national championship game. Imagine Virginia Tech going to a national championship game. You can't. You can't picture that. So I would put Vick on here before Lamar Jackson, in my opinion. Like, we're talking about college stars. I, I, I'm honestly kind of surprised, like, Tavon Austin wasn't here, the way Twitter talks about Tavon Austin. Pat White, another one on here. Like, there's a lot of other quarterbacks I would put on here instead of Lamar Jackson. And I loved Lamar Jackson. Again, I loved him at Louisville. He had two great years at Louisville. But that's high. Number nine's high, especially when you look at a guy, Vince Young, that is widely considered to be one of the greatest quarterbacks in all of college football history. There's probably other quarterbacks I'm completely forgetting about. That's just the past 20 years. Oh, no, I guess, uh, is that the past 20 years? Is that what it said? Because then that would rule out Vic. I, I kind of, yeah, past 20, okay, that rules out Vic. Because Vic was 2001 and all that stuff. You drafted no one. So that, that rules out Vic. I didn't even think about that. Vic would be on here if it wasn't for the stipulation of the years. So I got to remember the years here. So let's go over, so J.J. Reddick. J.J. Reddick falls in that. J.J. Reddick definitely falls under that category. What he, when he get drafted, like 07, 06? But you're looking at other people around these sports. So looking at football. For the past 20 years. Okay, 20 years. A Saquon? No, I don't think Saquon would be on this list. Is there any other big-time college football players? They didn't put any NFL players in here. It's just college athletes. Who else would be... Like, everybody knows. Mar oh, Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota should be on here before Lamar Jackson. Like, every everybody had Oregon gear when Marcus Mariota was playing at Oregon. Everybody. I had a bunch of Oregon gear growing up because everybody wanted to watch Marcus Mariota. He, he should be, if we're talking, like, again, he was a way bigger star in college football than, than Lamar Jackson. RG3 had his own socks. He had Superman cape socks. Everybody watched. I had RG3 cleats. When he got drafted by Washington, like Lamar RG three was a bigger star in college football than Lamar Jackson. And again, I don't want to take anything away from college, Lamar Jackson's time at LSU, or Louisville. Won a Heisman Trophy deservingly. I don't want to take anything away from Lamar Jackson. But if we're just talking strictly on star power, Marcus Mariota and RG three are both bigger stars in college than Mar than Lamar Jackson was. Both were ironically drafted second overall as well. 
And you got Jameis Winston, the second freshman to win a Heisman, the youngest player to ever win a Heisman. Who else is, is there other players that I'm completely forgetting about? Caleb Williams. I wouldn't have honestly been surprised if he was on this list. A guy who could potentially be the set first ever two-time Heisman Trophy winner. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson could have been on this list. Nah, probably not. Probably not. I'm trying to look at, like, number one overall picks, but I don't think that's the way to look at that because, like, I mean, well, Baker. I guess you could look at Baker. Everybody knew Baker. Baker was in the news every single week. But Mariota and RG3 should definitely, if we're going off quarterbacks, they should definitely be on this list. There's no really defenders that I can think of that would be like, because Manti Teo is obviously the, the end-all, be-all. And Dominican Sue could have been one, Heisman finalist. Those are the main ones I can think of for college football. We're going to college basketball. Kevin Durant is one that I'll think of in 07, 06, 07 with Texas. He's one that I think definitely should be mentioned on here. Jimmer and John Wall are perfectly fine. They they had their own thing going back then. Like the John Wall song and dance. He had Jimmer with the Jimmer range. Everybody was saying Jimmer range at recess. Every single person was saying that. Zion, comparatively to John Wall and Jimmer Fredette, I don't know if I'd put Zion above them. Zion at four seems, again, a little high. Uh, Zion was a big star in college basketball. I don't want to take that away. He was a very big star and deserving a number one overall pick, but he just can't stay healthy now. Is there anybody else, though, that was, like, super polarizing? Derrick Rose at Memphis was a beast. I think he averaged, like, four. It's always funny to see, like, oh, this guy was a beast. You look at his stats, he averaged, like, 14 points a game or something like that. That's just how college basketball is. Who else would be up there in the past 20 years? Because J.J. Redick, I would, J.J. Redick falls in that category. I would put J.J. Redick on there. J.J. Redick was freaking everywhere in college basketball when he was playing for Duke. There's got to be others, though, that I'm just completely, completely blanking on. North Carolina, Tyler Hansborough, potentially. Tyler Hansborough is everywhere. Who else? Who else? Let's go to another sport. Women's basketball, we know the top two. Those, those two are perfectly fine. Who was the other sports on there? Was it just college football, college basketball, and college women's college basketball? Are there any other sports? Coaches, Nick Saban. Like everybody knows that. Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. <laughs> no Alabama players really fall into this category, though. Alabama, you think of more Alabama as more as the team aspect, more than the, the individual players there. But, like, Julio Jones could be mentioned on there. Amari Cooper was a Heisman finalist. Devontae Smith won a Heisman as a wide receiver. There's got to be other ones. But the college football ones, the Mariota and RG3, if we're going to expand the list, I think those two definitely be on here, especially above Lamar. But, like, Cam Noon, Joe Burrow, Johnny Manziel, Vince Young, Tim Tebow, those guys are all... I'm cool with those guys all being on the list. I'm perfectly okay with those guys being on there. Everybody... Lamar's the only real issue I have. Maybe John Wall's placement is a little different there, too. I, I think John Wall should slide up the list. Manti Teo, just because he's a defender, I think fine. Sitting him at the bottom of the list is fine. But everybody, again, knew that story. But there, there's a lot of good athletes in college football, uh, college sports. Everybody knows that. Brandis Stewart could be mentioned in there as well for women's college basketball when she was at UConn, I think. Paige Brookers, if she didn't get hurt last year, she could be on this list potentially at UConn. Again, another UConn player. Brittany Griner. Everybody knew Brittany Griner when she was at Baylor. So maybe she could be one mentioned there. So there's a few other women's college basketball players you could think of. At least those are the ones that popped in my head first. But yeah, I don't really have a massive issue with this list. Maybe the ordering, but the the athletes they mentioned, 
I don't have a – Reggie Bush makes sense, 100% makes sense. I think the top two are fine, Reggie Bush and, J- and Johnny Manziel. Like, Johnny Manziel was the first freshman ever win a Heisman. Reggie Bush got his Heisman taken away. So, there's two people that everybody instantly knows right there. <laughs> so, I'm for it. I'm 100% for it. But, uh, yeah, do I want to do I want to try and do the quarterback rankings or do we want to just call it off here? Because it's getting late. It's, it's 11 o'clock right now. So I, I'm thinking I'm just going to call it off here, potentially. Is there anything else that I really have any pressing needs to really talk about here? To really talk about, to really nail home here? I don't know if this show has been the greatest show of all time, but we're trying our damnedest. I apologize for this. <laughs> yeah, I think we're. I think we're just gonna. I think we're just gonna end here. I think we're just gonna end it here. We're gonna try and get a show out for Monday as well. We'll have to wait and see on that. But I'm getting tired. I'm ready to go to bed. I got some college football to watch tomorrow. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. Detroit, start using Jameer Gibbs, you freaking cowards. Please. Please. That's all I'm asking. Justice for Jameer is my new fantasy football name because I got Jameer in like three fantasy football leagues, so it's painful to watch the Lions play football. But uh, I guess we'll go over the top ten like really quick So I just want to make sure I get this out. So, number one for the top ten quarterbacks of the 2024 NFL draft. And I was... We'll start at 10. Uh, we got 10A and 10B back again. We got Jane Daniels at number 10B. Going in at number 10B, we got Spencer Rattler at 10A. Spencer Rattler, extremely efficient in South Carolina's game against Mississippi State last weekend. Uh, didn't com- throw an incomplete pass until the third quarter. He was 17 of 18, or 17 of 17 until he incomplete- threw an incomplete pass. And that incomplete pass was a very, 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 very well-thrown back shoulder throw that I was kind of surprised didn't get a DPI or a holding call or something. But, you know, you can't win them all, I guess. And then you got Jane Daniels, who put up good numbers. Like, you look at four touchdowns, you got, like, 300-plus passing yards. Like, every number there looks really good. All four of those touchdowns were deep balls, and really only one of them was an actually really good throw. I don't think Daniel Daniels played, like, his greatest game of all time. I'm sure he's going to want some things back. The interception wasn't great. The defender just jumped the route. I think Jane Daniels is a good quarterback, and I thought he deserved at least a mention in here. But 10B, like, you, this is why you got to look at the game rather than just the numbers, because I don't think he played that great in this game. Like, Rattler. Rattler's extremely efficient. Rattler's deep ball to legit in the second, to start the second half was a very well-thrown deep ball. Maybe a little low on the deep ball. Legit had to go down to get it a little bit, but still a very well-thrown ball. Very efficient game from Rattler. Again, ran the ball really well as well. So I would take Rattler's performance against Mississippi State over Daniels against Arkansas. Both close games. But, yeah, I, I want to give at least both of them a mention. Then number nine, we got Bo Nix. He just wasn't really needed to do it. He didn't really get asked to do a whole lot against Colorado. It was just an easy game. It was an easy game. And this offense, again, is a very simple offense. And it allows him to, you know, use his quick, quick thinking, quick reactions, all that stuff. But there's not a lot of pre-snap process there. Everything's just so fast. And Oregon pretty much just seems like they run the same offense every single... Like, we're going all the way back to, like, Darren Thomas, Jeremiah Masoli days. It feels like Oregon just keeps running the same thing. Like, it doesn't matter who they're playing, where they're on the field, they're going to go for it on fourth down. No matter how much they're winning by They're going to go for it on fourth down. They're going to go for two. They're going to do all these different things. It just added bonus they were doing to Colorado this past weekend. But Bo Nix, he didn't play bad. He didn't have a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. It was a very easy game for him in Oregon, but... I dropped him down one spot because I thought Cameron Ward played better than every the other quarterbacks we mentioned here. He had a very good game, very, again, efficient game against Oregon State. He threw some absolute dime pieces in this game. Absolute dime pieces. Like, 
he had a throw. Let me pull up the... I got to pull up my stuff just to make sure I'm talking about the right throws here. Because I, I tried to get videos in here again to make... But I don't know if they'll work because the last time they kind of worked, kind of didn't work. But he had some great throws. He had some great, great throws. Like Josh Kelly made some absolutely ridiculous catches in this game. But Cameron Ward was absolutely on one. Absolutely on one. Like he had Kyle Williams down the left sideline. Beautifully thrown ball. Put it right between Williams and the sideline. He had two defenders on him. Threw it absolutely perfectly there. He had a ball to, um, who'd he throw to the end? Josh Kelly from 11 yards out. Scrambling around the pocket. Found Kelly in the end zone for the score. Wide open, but still the ability to scramble around the pocket and deliver a strike was very impressive. And then you got to throw to Josh Kelly again. Down the far, or down the near sideline, sorry. On a fade route. Beautifully thrown ball. Josh Kelly reached out with one hand. He's getting his other hand dragged back to the defender. And he just reached out with one hand, catches it. Perfectly, perfectly placed from Cameron Ward. Like, if you're just watching, going from a technique standpoint on how to throw a football, where to place a football, Cameron Ward against Oregon State is definitely a game you're going to want to watch. This was probably his best game at Washington State. Like, he had an absolutely ridiculous game at Washington State. And against Oregon State, they had some mishaps in this game. But all in all, he played very, very well. 38-35 victors. This is their second top 25 team they've knocked off this year. Wisconsin was the first one. Oregon State was this one. And now you're going into a game. Are they going to a bye? Yeah, they got the bye week this week. And they play UCLA the following week. So UCLA just actually lost this past week. But they can get back in the top 25 with a win this week. I don't I don't know who they play or anything. But, hey, that could be another tough matchup for Washington State. But Cameron Ward had a perfect game or a near-perfect game against Oregon State. Like, you look at the stat line as well. 28-34-404 touchdowns, 14 yards rushing and a touchdown there. The rushing touchdowns is a quarterback draw, so it wasn't anything spectacular, but, you know, it counts all the same. 109 rushing yards of the season. He's Utah, Washington State's second-leading rusher, was their leading rusher going into this game. 13 touchdowns, no picks. Like, Cameron Ward coming in at eight, I love to see it. I thought he played better than the other quarterbacks we mentioned before. It might be harsh on Bo Nix, but Cameron Ward has he just had that type of season, had that type of game against Oregon State. Number seven, J.J. McCarthy. Um... Nothing really that amazing from McCarthy. I thought he ran the ball really well in this game. Took chances when he did. Um, but nothing really amazing. Like the first drive of the game, his first two passes. Or no, not his first two. Because they went three and out their first drive, didn't they? If I remember right. I don't remember if it was their first drive or second. Yeah, it was the second drive of the game. He had Donovan Edwards on a wheel route, essentially. Not a wheel route, a flat route. To pick up first down. And freaking Donovan Edwards picked it up for 33 yards. And he found uh, Colston Loveland another play later for a 35-yard game. So you had back-to-back plays of 30-plus yards, and Blake Corum punches in the end zone. Like, back-to-back plays, you're getting 70 yards pretty much, 68 yards, back-to-back plays. Now, it's just as easy as you like. You got a flea flicker to, I believe, Colston later in the game as well. Uh, threw a really good back shoulder throw to Samaj Morgan in the second half, or second quarter, sorry. Very, very good throw. What's second quarter, right? Hold on. Yeah, second quarter. It was almost second half. We had a minute left in the quarter. But it's a perfect throw. That's the type of throws you need to see consistently from McCarthy. It was a nice bounce back game after the game he had against uh, Bowling Green the week before. Where he threw three, again, not very good interceptions. But you still want to see some more development there. Rutgers posed some problems there. Michigan didn't have that quote-unquote blowout that we were looking for. This is why I have Nebraska covering. It's at Nebraska. It's Michigan's first road game of the year. They haven't looked great up until this point. McCarthy's had very good moments this season. He looked really good the first two games. Did not play good at all week two or week three against Bowling Green. Needs continued development there. But, you know, 
Nebraska's Nebraska. They'll have their moments there. But And then you have Colston Loveland again. McCarthy throwing it down the seam. Uh, defender in front of Colston. He had a defender behind him as well. And what's the old saying? What's one of the old saying? Let your playmakers make plays. McCarthy lobbed it up in there to Colston. Colston came down with the ball. Got a big first down in the process. And again, Michigan came out winning 31-7. Uh, number six, we got uh, Quinn Ewers from Texas. Only had one touchdown this game run, throwing the ball, but had one rushing. And that's what I really like from Ewers this season. The development of him in the run game. Like last year, there was no chance in hell Quinn Ewers having a 29-yard rushing touchdown. There was no chance. There was no chance. But he's lost a lot of weight. He's become more mobile. He's becoming smarter when he runs. Like you look at the run play that he had. Bounced it to the left. Defender comes from the left side. Bounces it out to the left. Just nobody there. Nobody there. So he smartly just tucks it up and field, tucks it up field and run. He got a nice block from his receiver on the sideline. And his breeze passing for the score. That's exactly what you want to see. Ewers looked really good in this game. He had a nice throw to Sanders across the middle of the field as well. You got your one touchdown of the game. So, you know, I liked what I saw from Ewers against Baylor. He had a nice little bounce back game because he had the game, the weird-ish game against Wyoming. It wasn't really that – it was bound to happen because Wyoming's a good football team. They had the win against Texas Tech week one. Texas coming off an emotional high against beating Alabama the first time in freaking ever, So especially on the road. So the layoff game was going to happen. I didn't think it would be like a complete trap game for Texas. But, you know, they got the dub anyways to go back into this game against uh, Baylor, bounce back a little bit, easier game, 38-6. to yeah, nine touchdowns of the season, no picks for years. Also with three rushing touchdowns. Looking more mobile in the process. Uh, number five is Michael Penix. Knee injury still scares me. The knee problem still scares me. But you can't fault the dude for how he's playing this year. We brought this up earlier. If Caleb Williams, if that game Washington versus USC, that could be a Heisman decider right there. That could be a Heisman decider. I'm very much looking forward to that game. Because Penix and Washington's offense look damn near unstoppable at this point. Cal was just a roadblock. Cal had zero chance in hell at winning this game. Zero chance. They came back in the game because Washington pulled out of starters. But Washington, again, went up, tried to rally up the score again. And Penix was hitting Odunze. He was hitting a poke in the game as well. I don't think from just a playing standpoint, this was as good as Michael Penix can be. He made some weird decisions out of this game. He had a bad interception in this game. But it was still a good statistical performance. But a lot of his throws went to Poke, went to Odunze, which makes sense. Uh, Jer- Jeremy Bernard also got a big play in this game as well. But Penix, the deep ball was on point, as it always is for him. So, yeah, keep building on that. They got a game against Arizona this week. I think they re- they go through that easily. I don't think anybody's really stopping Washington's offense. So, we'll see. We'll see. It's on the road. But, you know, they had a good game in their first road game of the season against Michigan State. Hoping, <coughs> sorry, that carries into this week against Arizona. Number four, uh, big game for this guy, Riley Leonard. (coughs) Jeez. Big game against Notre Dame this weekend. Big, big game against Notre Dame this weekend. I'm very excited for that game. This is obviously their first big test since that Clemson game. But we did bring up last week, if you remember, if you read the blog post, we obviously didn't do do a show. But if you remember in the blog post, we talked about UConn potentially being their biggest challenge since week one. Obviously, they only played Lafayette and Northwestern, so it's not really that big of a stretch. But UConn did cause some problems for Duke early on in the game. They did. Objectively, they did keep, d- cause Duke some problems. They did not start out the game as hot as they would have wanted. They were only up 7 nothing at the end of the first. They poured it on in the second half, or second quarter, sorry. They got 20 points in the second quarter. We're up 20 to 7, 20 to, 20, what, 27 to nothing at half? 27-7 at halftime. I can't remember what the exact halftime score was. 
But Leonard ran the ball really well in this game, was really efficient with his passing. The deep ball's still not 100% there yet. But like we talked about with McCarthy before, he's still learning the quarterback position. He's still a young, nuanced quarterback. But from what we've seen from him, he looks really good. The ball placement's there. The arm angles are there. The mobility's there. And again, it's against UConn, against Lafayette, it's against Northwestern. He needs to be efficient in this game against Notre Dame. We saw him run the ball really well against Clemson week one. Let's see if he can carry that over in this game against Notre Dame because they're going to need that if they want to win this game. They have a solid defense. It's a good matchup. It's a very, very good matchup. Notre Dame's obviously coming off a loss against Ohio State last week, so they're going to be motivated going to this one. Duke 4-0. So, yeah, this will be a very, very fun one. Very, very fun one. But Riley Leonard, it's weird to see Riley Leonard all the way up here as he only has two touchdowns on the season for passing his six total touchdowns compared to Penix, who has 16 touchdowns on the season, <laughs> who's one spot below him. But I really like what Riley Leonard's done this year. I really like what Riley Leonard's done this year, and I hope he continues to build on it because he's a very enticing prospect going to the draft. Uh, number three, maybe surprise some people still, but Shadur Sanders – for how bad that game was against Colorado you and Oregon, Shadur Sanders did not play that bad. Shadur Sanders did not play bad at all in that game, really. Like, he didn't turn the ball over once. He had a touchdown in the game. Nothing like, ins- no, he's the only one on here that didn't have any highlights ready for. But all his passes were just really short because he had to get the ball insanely fast. He got hit like every single time he dropped back the pass. Again, we brought this up before, 22 sacks in the season. He's the most sacked quarterback in college football. He got sacked seven times this game. They have no semblance of an offensive line. They have no semblance of a running game. And he still looked solid while getting beat up the entire time. He had a near pick on the near sideline. I don't remember what what quarter or half it was, but maybe should have been picked off. But he looked solid given the circumstances. And it's always, you got to look at the circumstance here. Given the circumstance, I thought he played all right. So I couldn't in good conscience like drop him down because if you look at that, you're like, man, Shadur Sanders, a guy who's been throwing 6,000 yards a game, only had 159 yards passing with negative, what, 34 yards rushing, which is insane they count that as rushing yard sacks. But he had a big run in the game, though. But, yeah, he he got beat up, but he still played well. I do not agree with Skip Bayless saying that he'd take him over Caleb Williams. I do not agree with, who was it, Keyshawn Johnson, who's always good for uh, ridiculous. No, it was Michael Irvin. It was Michael Irvin. So let's read out the full quotes here. So Skip Bayless on Undisputed Today said he's taking Stewart Sanders over Caleb Williams, said on Undisputed. He also said Stewart played pretty well against Oregon, which, you know, we just said that he did, consisting of pass protection, considering the pass protection from his old line and lack of run game. He said, in quote, I'm picking Stewart Sanders over Caleb Williams. Stewart Sanders has been sacked more than anybody in college football this year. He's under siege on nearly every snap. The more I watch him, the more he grows on me. His rushing attack is dead last in college football. The more I watch him, the better he gets. Fair. Fair assessment. I again, I would not take him over Caleb Williams. I wouldn't take him over Drake May, who's number two. Okay, number two and one are Drake May and Caleb Williams, surprisingly. But Stuart um, Sanders thought to be the next "quote unquote" Joe Burrow by Michael Irvin, former NFL wide receiver. For those who didn't know, Deion Sanders said recently that Shadur is what Shadur Sanders is doing right now is unheard of with lack of protection he has. Sanders also said it would quote wouldn't have been fair for Oregon if Colorado was able to provide good protection. I don't know about that. Skate Bills even went, okay, this is the best quarter. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, Shadur Sanders having a very good year. Shadur Sanders is easily my third favorite quarterback in the, or best quarterback in the draft. But Drake May and Caleb Williams, I still need to see a little bit more. He's put up good numbers, 
But I like what Drake May has been doing a lot at North Carolina this season. He had a left-handed passing touchdown this week. The ball placement on Drake May, the deep ball's there. The running ability is there. Stuart Sanders, I don't know if I would say he's a better runner or even near the same level of runner as Drake May is, but he's not asked to do that. Drake May's asked to run more than Stuart Sanders is, but Stuart Sanders' worst off the line. He doesn't really have time to find running lanes. When he does run, he's just scrambling around for his life back there. But I think Drake May is number two, and I think Caleb Williams is number one. Caleb Williams was really good against Arizona State this weekend, as we expected. Arizona State stinks. We knew that. So Caleb Williams being number one shouldn't surprise anybody. Caleb Williams would not drop for number one the rest of the year. I would be absolutely shocked if that happened. He would have to drop a six-interception game at some point this year. I highly doubt it will ever happen that he drops from the He hasn't thrown an interception yet to this point in the season. He has 15 passing touchdowns. over two. Has just about or just at 1,200 yards passing. Also has three rushing touchdowns as well. Yeah, I don't see him dropping anytime soon. I don't see him dropping anytime soon. Shadur Sanders, I wouldn't be shot if he moved up to number two, but right now my top three is pretty locked in with Williams, May, and Shadur Sanders. But the rest of the list, as we have said before, we'll go in that order again. So we got Drake or Caleb Williams, number one. Drake May coming in at number two. Number three is Shadur Sanders. Number four, we got Riley Leonard, who might be a little high for some people, but I really like what I've seen from Riley Leonard this year. Number five, we got Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. Number six, we got Quinn Ewers from Texas. Number seven, we got J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. Number eight, we have got Cameron Ward moving up two spots from number 10 after his impressive performance against Oregon State. We got Bo Nix at number nine. And then we at 10A and 10B, we got Spencer Rattler and... Jaden Daniels and then in the honorable mention section we have Sam Hartman from Notre Dame not just because of what he did last week he didn't really have the greatest game statistically last week but you know it's Ohio State you can only do so much but he's had a very good season up to this point 14 touchdowns no picks to his name so far this season with 1200 yards passing Joe Milton two passing touchdowns 89 yards rushing in uh the win over UTSA last weekend Michael Pratt enters back in after coming back from injury two touchdowns passing one touchdown rushing at over uh, 200 plus yards of total offense and the win over Nichols, 36 7 win. And then we got Jordan Travis. It's Clemson, two touchdowns there, one rushing, two passing, 289 yards through the air as well. And then Tyler Van Dyke, three touchdowns through the air against Temple, 17 24, 220 yards. He has 11 touchdowns and one interception on the season. He's played a lot better than what he did to this point last year, which was such a disappointment coming from an insanely talented quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke, which is what you want to see this year. But that's all I've got for you today on this Saturday edition of the Logan Blyman Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. This wasn't the greatest show of all time, in my opinion, but we're getting back into it. It's been a couple weeks since we recorded the show. I'm trying to get back into everything. Blog posts have been taking up a lot of my time, especially last week, so I was trying to add a new video element to the show. So I apologize for that. And then the Bachelor Party obviously delayed some things as well. But we move. We move. I hope you enjoyed If not, I sincerely apologize. I'll try to be better next time. And uh, yeah, I will see you all later. Make sure to check out the blog post on theloganblimanshow.com and follow all the different forms of social media and the podcast as well. I will see you guys later. Peace.